so there's this idea we're hearing in Second Chronicles 25 that you can fulfill perfectly the letter of the law, follow everything that God commanded in the Torah, but if your heart's not in the right place, mm. you got a problem. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. You are listening to Hebrew Gospel Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. Exploring Hebrew New Testament manuscripts for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Shalom, welcome to Hebrew Gospel Pearls, episode 18. I'm so excited. (laughs) We're going to continue talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the section known as the Beatitudes, the section that begins Ashrei, blessed is. And today we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Excellent. What you called the buffet of the biblical Beatitudes. <laughs> Look at all this stuff. <laughs> I feel like, you know, how you get to the buffet and first they give you the macaroni yeah. and they give you the, the, um, yeah. the uh, mashed potatoes and now we're at the steak. Yeah, <laughs> That's excellent. how I feel here. This is some, yeah, so the verse reads in Hebrew, Masher, uh, Hebrew Matthew, Ashrei zakei halev, blessed are those pure in heart, vehema yiru Elohim, for they will blank God and I'm saying blank because it could be interpreted the way it's written in most of the manuscripts of Hebrew Matthew in two different ways. Uh, I've talked in the past, those who follow my teaching, about something called hollow verbs. Mm-hmm. I won't get into that. It's a bit complicated. But every uh, verb, every uh, verb, adjective, and noun in the biblical Hebrew has a three-letter root. Mm-hmm. And the three-letter root, uh, sometimes some of those letters will drop out, and that creates what's called hollow verbs. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you don't always know in a particular context, which root it is. Mm-hmm. And here it could be two different roots. It says, and they will yiru Elohim. Yiru can mean two different things. It's ambiguous. It can be from the root yud resh aleph, for they will fear God. Mm-hmm. Or it could be from the root resh aleph hey, for they will see God. Mm-hmm. And certainly the standard English translations and the Greek translate based on the word see. Yes. Uh, for example, NRSV, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see, in the Greek opsontai, God. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to see God. and But there's a possibility of the Hebrew being translated for they will fear God. Mm-hmm. Now what's interesting is there's two manuscripts of Hebrew Matthew. Uh, and Howard didn't have access to this information. There's uh, manuscript W and manuscript... <laughs> we are at actually, the stake already? Wow. Actually, manuscript B he did have access to, so I'm assuming it's in his notes there. Uh, but I looked at the 20 surviving manuscripts. And it has Shehema Yir'e Elohim, for they are those who fear God. And that's mm-hmm. unambiguous. Mm-hmm. So two of the copyists, at least, mm-hmm. either had their source or they maybe made a mistake and changed they see God or they fear God to they are they who fear God unambiguously. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. And as a third manuscript, manuscript J, which has something like fear. Um, so there's a possible way of reading it mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, not in the Greek, though. Mm-hmm. Now, Nehemiah, um, I'm obviously this is the uh, we're in the public phase of things. We're not at the hard hat section. Those of you that have not gotten a chance to go to the mm-hmm. uh, plus episode, you're missing it. Both at Nehemiah's wall, bfainternational.com. But mm-hmm. let me just say something. I, we I got to give a little context to this. So this is going to be a little touchy. Just a little touchy. Say yeah. a little touchy. A little touchy. So we had some time between episode 15. If you didn't see episode 15, you got to go see it. And us taping this today. And so what I did is went further beyond the resources that we've used. We've mm-hmm. used a number of resources. We've used Dalich. We've used your cousin. We've used uh, Howard, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I have my trusty English Bible. And something happened that I actually called Nehemia, folks, um, and I apologized to him uh, for mm-hmm. what I found in uh, my Bible. So I have... I'm 
referred this, many people to this Bible because it's a Hebrew-Greek key study Bible, the New American Standard Bible. And, um, and I have to make a confession. I hadn't spent much time throughout the Hebrew Gospel Pearls in this other than to read in, the, in, in Matthew, to read. If Nehemiah would say, hey, read a verse, read a verse, I would do that. Mostly what we've been doing is staying within the resources and uh, the sources that we've had, a reference material that we've agreed to. Because of the extra time, I got into a little trouble. Uh-oh. And as I'm reading, uh, there's a note in my uh, at, at Matthew, and it says, you know, go to this section. So I go mm-hmm. to this section and come to find out that the editor of this Bible wrote a book on the Beatitudes. I'm thinking, geez, Louise, I waited until episode 15 to find out that he has a book. I ordered the book. <laughs> I had time. I went on click, click, click. Yeah. And uh, I get the book. I start reading the book, and my heart literally sank. Mm. Because Nehemiah, what he does, and I had no idea, this actually be a Greek man. Uh, he was actually born in Greece. He has a oh, Greece, wow. Greek name. Um, he believes that the Greek is the, is the original inspired. No problem with that. But what he starts to do, and I, I want to use this verse as an example. Okay. And I, I, I have the book here. Um, um, I want to read this verse. Uh, his, his, his culmination of the verse. There's a whole chapter on the verse. But what he says is, Therefore, we might very well paraphrase this beatitude, blessed, that is to say, indwelt by God are the pure in heart. So we're talking about the issue of pure in heart. Okay, that's what he's saying. These are pure because of Christ, God the Son. These, the blessed and the pure, shall see the Son, uh, shall see the Father, and the Father is made visible through the Son. Isn't this exactly what John 1.18 declares? And, in, and he goes on, uh, Nehemiah, to to do this, and he does this for each beatitude. I'm not going to go into great depth. He basically isn't so concerned about what Yeshua said. And I say this all the time. Don't tell me about what they say about Yeshua. Let's hear what he says. Mm. And this book, I have to say, and I said, I apologize to you, because based on this book, you and I can't do this series. If this is my only resource, mm-hmm. the, the, his, his translation and his book, he's the editor of the entire Hebrew Geekuddy Study Bible in the NASB. The editor is telling me that if you're going to have a, a, a conversation about the Beatitudes, it's got to be theological. And it's got to be theological from the perspective of the present-day Christian or Western Christianity, which means that you, and I've said this many times, I don't mind saying it on uh, live here, uh, I believe that we could have been uh, at the Sermon on the Mount listening to the Beatitudes, and I think that there was a message for us back then, and I think it's for us today. The problem I have with the editor is he leaves what I, we call language, history, and context. He left the language issue kind of, no history and no context, and, and dives into theology and literally cuts out the opportunity for you and I to be in our 19-year journey. Mm-hmm. If I'm not doing what he wants me to do, and he says it in the beginning of his book, he says it's all about one thing. It's all about evangelism. Evangelism mm-hmm of his understanding of the theology uh, that was created through the Beatitudes. And I just had to say, uh, I, I said I apologize because when I, I read it, my heart sank. I thought I could have never been in a relationship. We could have never had this conversation mm. if that was the focus that I was using to speak to you. What have we done instead? We've come together on common ground to think about this, to find out what the language, history, and context of the words of the Yeshua are. If I go by his approach, I talk to you only about what, we, what they say about him theologically, not what he said. So that's mm-hmm. a big controversy, but I had to bring it up. I so, called you ahead of time. So to I want to understand why he did what he did, right? And, and, and I, think, I think it's pretty clear. Um, 
So it's almost like there, or it's not almost like it is, there are a bunch of things that Yeshua taught that don't fit Christian theology. And it's not that they're necessarily contrary to Christian theology in many cases, but they don't fit the emphasis of Christian Christian theology. The emphasis of Christian theology is you've got one job, and that job is believe in certain theological doctrines or you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. And those theological doctrines may come from the New Testament. It's debatable whether they do or not. What's not debatable is they were clearly formulated for the first time at the Council of Nicaea and later the Council of Constantinople in 381, 325, and then 381. Um, the version we use today, we meaning not me, Christians, is uh, from the 381, the Council of Constantinople. And what he's basically saying is, look, if this doesn't fit the, the creed, the Nicene Creed or the Constantinople Creed, mm. What's it doing in the New Testament? Oh, wait a minute. Okay. And so, he, so he's taking statements that Yeshua taught to a Jewish multitude of 5,000 people at a mountain that we went to together, a Sermon on the Mount, and he's saying, whoa, I mean, this, this doesn't fit our theology. Oh. And, and it reminds me of um, when you were sitting in my uh, parents' uh, house and you were sharing with my father about Isaiah 56. <laughs> it's a famous story. We won't go into the whole story. <laughs> but you're showing my father what it says in Isaiah how you've joined yourself to the God of Israel and the people of Israel. And his response was, you don't count. You don't count. And what he was really saying is, I don't care what Isaiah said, whatever Isaiah said has to fit into our paradigm of rabbinical Judaism. And if, if in rabbinical Judaism, becoming part of the people of Israel and the God of Israel requires standing before a council of three rabbis who have overseen you being uh, educated in their doctrines, and then you pass literally a test, um, and like an academic test, yeah. right? Of do you know this information? And then you uh, get immersed by them in the mikvah. Well, Isaiah 56 doesn't say anything about that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we have to force Isaiah 56 to fit our doctrine. Right. And it seems to me like what he's saying is, wow, these are beautiful things Jesus said, but they don't fit what we've been taught Christianity is. Yes. Let's make them fit. Yes. And if if we have a definition from the Council of Nicaea that to be pure in heart means you profess this particular doctrine in this particular way. And I'm not saying whether that doctrine's right or wrong. I leave that to talk to your pastor, rabbi, or priest. That's not for me as a Jew right. to tell you if it's right or wrong. But Yeshua doesn't mention that doctrine in uh, Matthew chapter five. And, and it reminds me of another verse that we've talked about in the past. And it's this verse that is very problematic to to. Judaism, whether it's Karaite Judaism or rabbinical Judaism, and it's the verse where God says uh, in um, Psalm 145, verse 18, he says, Yehovah mm. is close to all who call upon him, mm. to all who call upon him in truth. Amen. Well, we know that's not true. Mm. How do I know it's not true? What if you call upon Yehovah, but you eat pork? What if you call upon Yehovah and you don't keep Shabbat? I'm talking from the Jewish perspective, then God can't be close to you. Mm. How about we let God do God and we do us? That's, right? I mean, you could say, well, that, I mean, think about this. Wait, in, a you- sense, in a sense, this is um, heresy to say God is called, clo- Yehovah is close to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Well, now we've got to define truth as you've got to do these specific things and profess this specific doctrine. What if you have a different understanding of God than me? Well, no, then God's not close to you. Mm. How about we take God at his word? Mm. Well, let me, you, you, you told me something, and I, I, we're in controversy already, folks, so let's just keep going. Uh, you told me something where someone actually said to you yeah. that they took the Apostles' Creed and put it 
in the Bible as a part of... Well, I was having a conversation with, with someone, someone. Yeah. and he was explaining to me, and look, I said to him, I filter everything through Deuteronomy 6.4. Right, that's what it was. Shema Yisrael, Yehovah, Elohim, Yehovah, Chad, Hero, Israel, Yehovah, is our God, Yehovah is one. Everything in the Tanakh, I filter through that. It's got to fit that. And really, I filter everything in the, I take the Torah, and everything in the prophets has to fit the Torah, and everything in the writings has to fit the prophets in the Torah. And if there's something in Amos that doesn't fit the Torah, well, I go by the Torah. Yes. And I say either I don't understand Amos, or I, um, or maybe Amos is a false prophet. I don't think that, but it's, I leave that open as a possibility. It's got to fit the Torah according to Deuteronomy 13. Amen. And this gentleman I was speaking to opened up, he, he had a Bible and he turned it over to the uh, beginning and he opened up the cover and he said, I filter everything through this. this. And, what was and it? he pointed to the Nicene Creed. And I said, how interesting you had to paste that into your Bible. It was not in there. And he, you know, he said, well, it wasn't formulated clearly. Okay, so you've, well, done, a, you've so, done a much better job than Jesus has. So, so here, here's why I wanted, I wanted to say this to you, and I want to say it to everyone that's out there. Um, the reason this has inspired me and the reason that mm -hmm. I've changed schedule, changed plans, done everything, mm -hmm. everything, everything stopped when, when the offer came for us to do this together mm -hmm. is because looking at language history and context of Yeshua in his language history and context is common again, just like it was when you said to me, Nehemiah, let's study the Tanakh together. You said, let's, let's study the Tanakh together, and we did that. And then you called and said, let's take a look at the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. Mm -hmm. And we have found a number of things where, is it fair to say, without going too far, where there's commonality through what he spoke in its original language, history, and context. I couldn't do that with this approach. I just can't. There's no conversation. We don't, have, we don't get through the first episode. Well, what he's trying to do, I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, okay, pure of heart. Well, we have a definition of that. Exactly. Pure, definition of pure of heart is it's based theological. on our Christian theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, um, you're in this particular theological walk. Yeah. Okay, but is that, here's the question I ask. So there were 5,000 or something like that Jews who heard Yeshua preach from a mountainside. Right. And they, they, were in the, they were down there in the valley. We've been there where we think, I think it was at mm -hmm. least. I think you agree. And they heard him preaching. Did they, did, was it just a bunch of gibberish he was speaking? Mm. I mean, imagine that. So he's standing up there and he's preaching chapters <laughs> yeah, five right. through seven. Right. And in his mind, he's thinking, this doesn't apply to any, only this 12. Is nothing, this is nothing to do with This is nothing to do with you. <laughs> We're going to wait until the editor of the Bible uh, 2,000 years this, later. This is for the future people who have known right. the, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only for them, you and the audience, it's, this has nothing to do with you. It's it maybe 12 of you, right? But the rest of you, this doesn't apply to you. That's the theological approach he's presenting there. Yeah, yeah. And maybe he's right theologically. I'm not a theologian. My question is, and the approach of the, what I'm trying to do in the program is, what did those 5,000 uh, disciples, maybe they weren't even disciples, some of them, maybe some of those people were opposed to him, but they came to hear what the guy had to say. Exactly. And what, did, what could they have understood when they heard him preach from the mountainside? And maybe they didn't always understand him. We see things where the disciples say, well, that's what you told them. What do you tell us, right? Yeah. There might have been things like that, especially in the parables. Mm -hmm. But what did they have the potential to understand? And then based on the evidence of what we have, what was he trying to communicate in the historical language, history, and context? And so uh, let, me say this. let me state the obvious, folks. Yeah. Um, Yeshua didn't, 2,000 years ago, teach in the King James English. Many of you already know that they're listening. Yeshua, I would, I would argue he didn't teach the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in Greek. I don't 
believe that he did that. The people that were on the, on, uh, if he would have done that, the people that were there, the 5,000, would have said it was gibberish. They wouldn't have known what he was talking about. Some people would have understood some, them because you, well, people who, them, are, okay, but you saying, people who are multilingual. Yeah. Um, let's, say, let's even say he did speak in Greek, right? Let's, let's not dwell on that specific point for, this, for the, this purpose, okay? okay? Even if he spoke in Greek, he was communicating to them in a way that they would have understood what he was communicating. Then. Otherwise, what was the point of what right, he was saying? Exactly. Right? I mean, look, and there are things where you could say, oh, well, there's no way the people understood that. We have passages in Luke where it specifically says they didn't understand what he was saying. Mm -hmm. That's not the case in, in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the assumption, I think, has to be that he was communicating in a way that they could understand. Otherwise, what was he doing? Mm -hmm. He was just reciting words for, for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write down for future generations? So. Or is he teaching something to those people who were present? Uh, that, and that's fundamentally the question. According to that book that you cited, he was only preaching for the future church, not for the people who were there. They've hijacked the message. They kidnapped Yeshua. And look, theologically, Listen, it's not for me to all, say. I'm just telling you. I'm asking in the context, what did it mean? Yeah. So right. I, I needed to get that. So let's, get, let's go to the verse. Thank you so much. So, so, all right, let's talk about this. There's two things we have to talk about. What does it mean to see God? And we said in two manuscripts, it's to fear God. But in all the rest, uh, it's either ambiguous or um, certainly in the Greek, it's to see God. We're going to ask what that question means to see God. But before that, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Yes. According to him, to be pure in heart means you've recited the Nicene Creed. Can I read? Am I right? Yeah. Can I read something before you? Before sure. Because I, I I really want to get to what you have there. there there's something that I wrote on uh, Nehemiah some uh, a few years ago, actually. A simple phrase, and you can pick up these uh, which you want to look at. But I want to just throw mm -hmm. these out really quick. Okay. Yes, sir. First two words, the two words that Yeshua connects for pure of heart are what in Hebrew? Zakeh Halev. Okay. So I would translate that as clean heart, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I'm going to give you that. some verses. The verses are Ezra 2 9, mm. Nehemiah 3 20. My favorite book, I wrote it. Nehemiah 7 14. If you could just look uh -huh. at I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Hey, folks, can I switch this around? Uh, Nehemiah, I want you to look for this verse. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll look for that verse. Okay. No. Wait, so, so what Ezra verse do you want me to read? I want you to go to Ezra 2 9. Okay. And, and, and if you can read that, and, and here's what I love about yeah. our experience uh, in the past is what really, really, really inspired yeah. me and caused me to be quite frustrated was when I was looking over your shoulder and you had the Hebrew Bible in mm -hmm. front of you and you were reading in Hebrew, but you were translating in English. Would you do me a mm -hmm. favor and take me back to those days of the old city of Jerusalem? We're <laughs> but walking. I won't let you look. <laughs> I won't let, I don't want to see it. <laughs> so I, I want you to go to yeah. Ezra 2.9. I just want you to pick a couple of these yeah, and sure. give me, and folks, remember, can you tell them the two words that Yeshua is using? I'm sorry, that in Hebrew, right. these two words. Zakeh Halev. Uh, Zakeh Halev. Now, can you All read right. uh, so, Ezra 2.9? So Ezra 2.9 is giving a list of different people who um, were involved in the return to Zion. And it says the sons of Zakai. Mm -hmm. 760. So Zakai was somebody's name. Okay, excellent. Now go to Nehemiah 320. And Nehemiah 320 is a, uh, I think it's a repeat of the same list. Okay. So after him. Nehemiah uh, 714. I tell you, go to 714. Uh, we, we can well, make no, it. 320 is interesting because okay. here we have Baruch, the son of Zabai, in the body of the text, and in the margin it says Zakai. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and there we have clearly what is, I shouldn't say clearly. In my opinion, what we have is. Uh, a graphic confusion between the letter bet and letter kaf in the square Hebrew script. Excellent. Okay, what was the next one? Nehemiah. Nehemiah 714. 
And we here we have the sons of Zakai. Same. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the repeat. Sorry of the list in, uh, okay. in Ezra. Okay. Uh, what was it? Three or whatever. Okay. Now, yeah. Or two. So I'm just giving yeah. these. So so when you see that word, what does it what does it say to you? So Zakai. Well, first thing I think of is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, who was mm-hmm. a um, leading rabbi at the time of the siege of Jerusalem mm-hmm. in the year approximately 70 AD. Mm-hmm. Went over to the Roman side. Zakai was somebody's name, and it meant innocent. Mm-hmm. And it comes from well. Tell me where you're going with okay. this. <laughs> I'm trying to get, you know, so I, I had a conversation yeah. with Rabbi Eliezer ben Yehuda two oh, weeks ago. Okay. I called Rabbi Tell Eliezer that ben is. Yehuda. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yehuda is the grandson of Eliezer ben Yehuda. And, 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 I would, and who is the original would, Eliezer ben Yehuda? I would argue he's the man who resurrected the Hebrew language yeah. as we know he's it today. He's credited with, with yeah. re- helping to resurrect so, modern spoken Hebrew, not written yeah, spoken I mean, Hebrew. So I called him on another matter and I was talking to him and he says to me, and he's a, he's a wise guy. He says, well, Keith, you know, as I read, there's something that happens. When I come across Hebrew names, it's as if it's the, the gunpowder of the verse, that the name actually sometimes gives you a chance to look at the name, and what the name means can sometimes blow the verse up. Okay. So the idea of asking, well, what, what, huh. what, what does this word mean, and what do these names mean, and what would be, what would be the root of that name? Yeah. So that's what I'm talk, getting to. Okay. So we've talked in the past, even in this episode, I think, about how every... Uh, noun, adjective, and verb has a three-letter root. Yes. And here we're presented with a word with a two-letter root. <laughs> and the two-letter root is Zion Kaf. And the assumption is that the third letter is either a He or yes. another Kaf. Yes. Uh, and in that case, it because it's hollow, one of the uh, letters drops out, or maybe that's the definition of hollow, actually. Mm-hmm. So, And what the third letter is, is debatable, whether it's a He, a he or a Kaf. Um, so zach means pure. Mm-hmm. And so let's give an example. Exodus 27, 20, and you shall ch- uh, command the children of Israel and they shall take for themselves z- shemen zay zach. Olive oil, that is zach, pure. Mm. What pure olive oil? It doesn't have any impurities in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably what we would call extra virgin olive oil, but that mm-hmm. has a very specific de- definition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it has that definition in the Tanakh precisely that way. Um, that's like a cold press olive oil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then 20, Leviticus 24, 2, Shemen Zayt Zach, Katit, uh, which again is um, uh, olive oil that's pure Katit, which has been crushed. Yes. So they crush the, the olives and they put them in these bags and whatever oozes out. Mm-hmm. In that first cold press, that is zach. That's the mm-hmm. pure, um, and the word katit's added, and then uh, which is the crushed. Exodus thirty thirty four. Right? These are there's nothing theological here, right? No, we're not talking about <laughs> people's hearts or their intentions. <laughs> no, we're talking about certain types of materials, right? Yes. A certain type of olive oil, and then here in Exodus thirty thirty four, we have um, livona zakah. It's the feminine form before it was zach masculine. Here at zakah, so it's pure frankincense. Mm-hmm. Right? What's non-pure frankincense? You mix some other powders in with it. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? It's very expensive. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, you cut it, you you water it down. So they're saying, no, no, no. God's saying it has to be pure frankincense. Leviticus twenty-four seven, again has levonazaka, pure frankincense, and then sometimes it's used metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, um, Job eight six. It says, "Im zachvi yasharata." If you are pure and straight-laced, mm-hmm. yashar is literally straight. Yes, right, but straight in the sense of having integrity mm-hmm. uh, in biblical Hebrew. And so the parallel there is zach, pure, right? And you said an interesting statement earlier. You said, "My heart literally fell." Well, no, your heart didn't literally fall. So, so and this is, <laughs> is interesting. That, did I say that? You actually said that, and I paid attention <laughs> because in modern English usage of today. 
literally is used metaphorically. Yes. They'll say he's literally Hitler. Well, obviously, he's whatever not. you think of him, <laughs> he's not literally Hitler unless you believe in reincarnation. Right. Right? Uh, he, you think he is the attributes of Hitler or yeah. he behaves like Hitler. He's obviously not literally Hitler because he didn't look anything like Hitler. Hitler right, dead. Right, 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 right. right. So people use that uh, regularly in, in the modern usage. They use literally to mean metaphorically. Isn't that ironic? It's, 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 did I really do that earlier? You, you will, did. will the editors be able oh, to Oh, no, that? they're leaving it in. Leave it in, guys. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so here, Zach is being used metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and talks in Proverbs 20, verse 11. It says, If pure, if his, if his action is pure and straight-laced, is, um, yes. meaning has integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, even, in, even straight-laced is a metaphor, right? Mm. What does straight mean? doesn't mean what it means in modern English. Straight right. means, uh, similar to straight-laced, that you're, you're, you're walking the straight path rather than the crooked path, mm-hmm. right? In, in, but metaphorically, I'm not walking any path, right? I'm sitting right. in a chair, right. right? And I'm sitting in a chair, am I doing, doing things that are righteous or unrighteous? Righteous mm-hmm. is straight, unrighteous is crooked in the, in the biblical Hebrew. Um, so uh, we have this usage in the Tanakh where zach means to, for your actions to be pure. Mm-hmm. And it comes metaphorically from pure materials, Amen. like pure frankincense and pure olive oil. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the olive oil is strained out, right? You mm-hmm. have all kinds of impurities. You can mm-hmm. add some water to it. Mm-hmm. So the pure olive oil is just pure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so now we go back to this verse, zakeh halev, uh-huh. pure of heart, yes. right? It means um, having a heart that has... Um, uh, it, meaning there's no impurities in your heart, right? Think okay. of frank, frankincense and the olive oil. There's nothing, no bad stuff mixed in there, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're doing something righteous. That's what it means, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Dalich interestingly translated it, ashrei barei levav, mm-hmm. those who have a clear heart. He used the word bal from barul, clear. Oh boy. Um, and why did he do that? Uh, it was a reasonable translation, right? I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's wrong. It's different than the way uh, Shem tells you where Matthew has it. Um, but he took that from Psalm 2.12, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps intentionally because Psalm 2, he interprets, um, whether you agree with him or not, he interpreted it as referring to the Messiah. Um, so, nashkuval oh, penya We got to slow down on that one. So, you're, okay. saying that you're saying, let's back up for a second. Yeah. This is important, you guys, because what we, what we, you can actually get this book uh, Dalich's book, The Hebrew Gospels, where he's yeah. taking the Greek and he's translating it back into Hebrew. Yeah. And an example where he used a different word. And you're saying it's possible. Theolog- not, can I use that word, theological? I don't know that, that it's theological he, here. He's, he's making, he's using the principle of association, perhaps. I don't know for sure. Okay, so but tell he, us about he, that So verse. Psalm 212 uh, in the King James is, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Mm-hmm. And the son is understood by them to be, uh, by the translators of the King James, to be uh the son of God who is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Now, some Jews would agree with that mm-hmm. and say son of God in the sense that Solomon was called the son of God yes. and that he's the chosen, uh, yes. I think we'll get to that later, hopefully yes, in a future episode. Yep. Um, but Nashkuval also is translated by Jewish translators as kiss impurity, mm-hmm. like your heart should be pure and clean when you come to kiss and pay homage to the Messiah, mm-hmm. whoever that is, right? So JPS says pay homage in good faith. Right, and what's the good faith? That's a para- paraphrase. Mm-hmm. What it, what they would literally understand it to mean is kiss with purity of heart. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I think I could be wrong. My hypothesis is that um, Dalich is taking that word bar from Psalm two twelve and using and it give here. Give us his translation one more time. So his 
So he, uh, blessed are those who are pure in heart, but pure using the word from Psalm 2.12, that when you kiss the son, whoever that is, you're kissing him with a pure heart. He's kind of maybe taking a dual interpretation of it, which is possible. That could be the correct interpretation. Um, so that's Dalich. Uh, we have this idea of people doing things with the right heart uh, in a number of places in the Tanakh. And I want to start with Psalm 51 in the Hebrew, verse 12. Mm-hmm. Here, I think in the English, it's a few verses off. Um, 51, 12. Let's see. In the King James, it's verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. Different word completely for, for, for clean, but it's talking about the, the nature of your heart. I'm in. So it's lev tahor instead of lev zak or zach mm-hmm. levav, right? So it's, it's a pure heart, um, but with a different word for pure, but it's the same principle there. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So this first off is just a purely Tanakh idea. Hmm. And it reminds me of another passage, which doesn't talk about heart. It talks about spirit. But again, in the, in the sense, it's, it's sort of related. Um, and I have a lot of people, I share this with Christians, hmm. and they're shocked that this is in the Tanakh. Hmm. They're like, no, that's got to be an act somewhere. That's in one of the epistles of, of Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's um, Ezekiel 18.31. Cast, I'll read it in the King James. Yes. Cast away from all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed. Sorry, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. Mm. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says Lord Yehovah. Or for, therefore, wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. So here in, in Psalms, you're, the prayer is to create in me a new heart. And in Ezekiel, the exhortation of the prophet, yes. he's telling the people, Get rid of your transgressions and sins and make for yourselves a new heart Amen. and a new spirit. Amen. Right? Amen. So this is a purely Tanakh idea of having the, the new heart, the pure heart, the clean heart. Mm-hmm. Get rid of your heart, which has sin, and, and take upon a new heart. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about in an earlier episode, Second Chronicles 25. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it in a little bit of context. For each one of the kings of Israel and mm-hmm. Judah, we have the statement in, in the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, Jews to just talk about the book of Kings. Right. In the book of Kings, we have, meaning in the Greek, it's divided into first and second. Actually, in the Greek, it's third and fourth, but we'll leave that for a different discussion. <laughs> so we have the book of Kings, and in Kings, for almost every king, it'll say he did that which was right in the eyes of Jehovah, or he didn't do that which was right, right in the eyes of Jehovah. And then all of a sudden, in Second Chronicles 25.1, which is taking information from Kings and adding more information, it says about King Amatsyahu, Amaziah in English. It says Amatsyahu reigned for, uh, let's see, Amaziah, Amatsyahu was 25 years old when he reigned. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. And the name of his mother was Yehoadan of Yerushalayim. Bayas Hayashal Bene Yehovah. And he did that which was straight laced, that which was right mm. in the eyes of Yehovah. Could be any king, nothing special here. And then. That's you know taken out of the type of information we get from kings, and all of a sudden he says, mm-hmm. but not with a, a pure, a complete heart. Mm-hmm. Not with a complete heart. So there's this idea we're hearing in Second Chronicles 25 that you can fulfill perfectly the letter of the law, follow everything that God commanded in the Torah, but if your heart's not in the right place, mm. you got a problem. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, Nehemia, I want to ask something. Yeah. Because, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive, folks. We're, I'm trying to be sensitive. I don't know if 
you're ready for a transition or not. I want to finish this passage, and we'll go to a transition. Excellent, excellent. And we'll talk about the really controversial stuff yes. in the plus episode. I want to finish, because <laughs> this is the mild stuff. Wait till we get to the controversy. Yeah. So 1 Kings 8.61, uh, here it's King um, David, I believe it's King David speaking to his son, and he says, And let your heart be complete with Yehovah our God. To walk in his statutes and, in, and to keep his commandments as this day. So there's two aspects of this. Mm. Keeping the commandments and doing it with a complete heart. Yes. You can have one without the other and you can have the other without the one. Right? Because, I mean, look, I, I, there's this perception, oh, I just have to keep these commandments perfectly. And then the, this is actually something I, I was taught in rabbinical Judaism, that if all Israel keeps two Shabbats in a row perfectly in accordance with rabbinical law, the Messiah will, will automatically just come, just two. Because mm-hmm. every Jew, has, and there's so many laws for Shabbat that the rabbis have created, so nobody keeps it perfectly, but if all of Israel would keep it just twice, it would be a, uh, an accomplished fact, fact that the Messiah would automatically come. And, and what we're hearing here is it's not enough to do it perfectly, mm-hmm. whether it's according to God's commandments or the rabbinical, right? That's a different question. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to do it perfectly. You have to have the complete heart. First Kings fifteen four, and this is interesting because this is the exact opposite of Amaziah in the Book of Kings. <laughs> Amaziah did everything yashar, straight laced in yashar. the eyes of Jehovah, straight, but now with a complete heart. Now it's King Asa, and the high places he did not re- remove, but Asa did. Uh, let's see. However, the heart of Asa was complete with Jehovah all of his days. Amen. So Asa didn't fulfill the letter of the law. He allowed the high places to remain, but his heart was in the right place. And that's, what? How can your heart be in the right place if you don't do that which is right? Because God is the judge of all the earth. God decides. He looks in our hearts. That's how merciful he is. Mm-hmm. And he knows what it is we intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 24, 3 to 5. I'm going to skip over that, guys. Look it up. Um, Psalm 73, 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore the people turn and praise and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? So are the wicked also at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So what's happening here is the righteous are looking at the wicked and saying, wow, that guy is prospering. Why have I bothered to have a clean heart? I should just be wicked like him and I'll, I'll also mm-hmm. prosper. So the wicked look at the, sorry, the righteous looks at the wicked and he's misled thinking there's no benefit in keeping God's commandments. I can just be a bad guy and I'll, and I'll thrive. So they're, they're misled like that. For all day long, I've been plagued and I'm punished every morning. So when bad things happen to good people, they can come to the wrong conclusions that I should just be bad in that case, mm-hmm. right? And of course, what the psalm is saying, no, be good, because mm-hmm. in the end, God will judge all things. Um, Proverbs 16.2, all the ways of man are pure, zach, same word zach. as in Hebrew man, Matthew, are pure in his eyes. V'tochen ruchot Yehovah, but Yehovah is the measurer of, of spirits, yes. the measure of spo- yes. so- souls. Yes. In other words, Yehovah looks in your heart and he knows, and I'll end with this. Psalm 44.21-22, to 22. Uh, look guys, there's also Jeremiah 17.10, um, I am Yehovah who investigates the heart. 
who examines the kidneys, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it sound like he's some kind of surgeon. No, but the right. kidneys is the, you know, we think of the thoughts having in your brain, in your, in your head, which they also had that idea, but they also have this idea of it being in your kidneys. So Yehovah is going to look into your heart, look into your thoughts, um, giving uh, each man according to his ways and according to his actions, right? So God judges you based on your actions, but he also takes into account what's in your heart, according to Jeremiah 17.10. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, 1 Kings 8.39, guys, look it up. But now... Psalm 44, 21 to 22 is, is incredible. And I'll end with this, and then we have to talk in the next part about the really controversial information. What does it mean to see God? Um, so Psalm 44, 20 to 21. Uh, in the King James, it's actually verses 19 to 20, I believe. Yeah. Though you cast us crushed to where... I mean, this is the JPS. It's a horrible translation. Uh, here's King James. Though thou hast sore broken us up in the place of dragons. The place of dragons. Wow. All right. I don't have time to get into it. Not exactly what it means. <laughs> it's actually more like crocodiles. And covered us with the shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our God and stretched our hands to a strange God, and then verse 22 in the Hebrew, 21 in the English, God will surely search it out, for he knows the secrets of the heart. So it describes here a situation of people whose heart's in the right place, right? Just like King Asa, mm-hmm. but he does something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like we talked about in a previous episode, the king of, of the, the Khazars, yep. the Kuzari. His heart is in the right place, but he doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And so he worships a foreign god. Mm-hmm. That's addressed here. I raise up my hands and I call out to the name of the wrong god. I call God, the true God, by the wrong name. Mm-hmm. We're not even talking pronunciation here. It's the completely wrong name, a different name altogether. Mm-hmm. God is that merciful. He can look in our hearts and see what we intended because we had the pure heart. So maybe Yeshua, when he said, blessed are those pure in heart, knew what he meant, mm. meant what he said. Meant what he said. And he did, wasn't saying, well, pure heart, but what I mean by that is you have checked the right boxes from the Jewish perspective. You've checked the right boxes from the theological Christian perspective. I don't actually mean pure in heart. I mean pure in doctrine, pure in uh, uh, observance of, of theology and observance of, of, of commandments and rabbinical law. Maybe he meant what he said, pure in heart. Well, can I read one last thing? Before we, let me just one last thing, folks. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can mm. say, I have cleansed my heart? Mm. I am pure from my sin. And I will tell you this, Nehemiah, uh, when we mm. were talking about this, we, we actually, one of the things that the Dominican Blessing, folks, is, is we got a chance to have some conversations back and forth. And I know we're going to talk about this in the next section, which I'm ex- mm. excited about. But when I think about heart, I, I hate to, I mean, when you hear heart, I hear a picture. I'm mm. thinking of this, Nehemiah. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum. So if I had a pure heart and I and I physically wanted to give you my heart, would that make you? If, if it was no, I'm no, just, no, no, heart here is a metaphor for your thoughts. Of course, obviously. <laughs> but why heart? Why in other heart? Because when words, people get excited, they feel their heart beating fast, and and when they're sad, they feel it in their heart, right? I yes. mean, it, so it's, yeah. so there's there's something there's there's something that happens. In other words, when we yeah. see heart, it's not like. A, a picture that's that you can't relate to. It's when not I, a, my heart starts it's to It's not be, an anatomical For, for example, <laughs> let me just tell you something that happened. Today, yeah. my heart fluttered, folks. And let me tell you why my heart fluttered. My heart fluttered because yeah. Nehemia was in studio without a jacket. For two episodes, he was, I'm going to tell this story. I have to. My heart fluttered. It was exci- I was excited about this. And I think your heart fluttered, too. And you're going to tell people about it before we go to the plus. So we're in here, and, and I've got my jacket because I'm thinking Nehemia's going to wear his jacket. i got to bring my jacket. But I couldn't do with just the shirt. He had a shirt without a jacket. So we do two episodes. And we're going to do the third episode. We've got to take a break. And all of a sudden, here comes Linnell. 
She walks in the room and she's got a bag. I couldn't believe it. My heart starts to flutter. What's in the bag? This jacket. <laughs> and you have to What's say, Wait, hold on. I'm not the kind of guy you can go shopping you at Walmart for. Hold on. Look, I'm telling you, folks. I've got special sizes. And... She walks in and she gets the thing and she puts it on the Hemia. And, and, and he puts it on. And I could see him, and I said, you know, say Linnell. I mean, did your heart not flutter? Like <laughs> She's an impressive woman, my wife. Um, I'll tell you, we had this incident. We were in uh, Washington, D.C., and the, f- the flight was canceled twice. We finally get there on the third flight, but our bags aren't there. And we were carrying thousands of dollars of equipment to go to the Museum of the Bible to photograph Torah scrolls. And we've come there. It's been planned for months. And we were there, and we don't have all of our equipment. And she says, well, what do you need? And I'm there with a colleague, and he tells her the name of the equipment. She says, I'll get that. And we're both like, you don't understand. We have to order this equipment a month in advance. You can't just walk into a regular store and buy it. It's specialized equipment. That afternoon, she comes back with the equipment. <laughs> Heart fluttering. Incredible. <laughs> so, we're so gonna, yeah. all right, let's end with a prayer, and then we'll continue in the plus section. Where we'll talk about the exciting part. What's exciting? Are you going to tell us, or are you going to give us well, a... We're going to talk about what it means to see God. And we're going to talk about some really deep uh, concepts that we've talked about in the past, but we never got into the nitty-gritty, what it means, the Shekinah glory. Amen. If, we can, if you allow me to talk about Amen. that. It's a bit controversial. Amen. It's extremely controversial. Books were burned over this. Yeah. Literally, Jewish books were burned by other Jews. Yehovah Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, Yehovah Father in Heaven, thank you so much for blessing me with this amazing Eshet Chayel, this woman of valor that you've given me. Yehovah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come to the studio and share these things with people. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the folks in this studio and the production group who have mm-hmm. allowed us to come in and enable us to be able to teach these things and share it with the audience. And Yehovah, thank you so much for giving me the understanding of Hebrew so I can understand what it means and share with others this idea of a pure heart. Mm-hmm. Yehovah, I pray that you give me a new heart and a new spirit mm-hmm. so that I can come before you not for my own sake, not to be righteous in my own eyes or pure in my own eyes, but you who examines the hearts and the kidneys and the spirit mm-hmm. so that I can be pure by your standard with a complete heart. Mm-hmm. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much for the study. Thank you so much for the open door that you've given us to be able to be here at this time. And we just uh, lift it all up to you. Help us to be like David, creating us a clean heart. Put a new and right spirit within us in your name. Amen. You have been listening to Hebrew Gospel Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. For a more in-depth study, check out Hebrew Gospel Pearls Plus at NehemiahsWall.com and BFAInternational.com. Thank you for your support.